Hello and welcome to Black Arcast Reviews. I'm your host, Christina. We're going to tackle a new series, True Detective Season 4, which is an American anthology crime drama created by Nick Pizzolatto. It premiered January 14th of 2024, this fourth season, so we are only one episode behind. Uh, this season, the show is set in the fictional town of Ennis, Alaska, and follows the investigation behind the disappearance of eight men from a research station. Isa Lopez serves as showrunner, writer, and director. It is the first season without Pizzolatto as showrunner or writer, but he still serves as executive producer. True Detective Night Country stars Jodie Foster as Chief Liz Danvers, Kali Race as Trooper Evangeline Navarro, Fiona Shaw as Rose Agano, Finn Bennett as Officer Peter Pryor, Isabella Starr LeBlanc as Leah Danvers, John Hawks as Captain Hank Pryor, and Christopher Eccleston or Eccleston, as Captain Ted Connolly, recurring cast Anna Lamb as Kayla Malie, Lexis Diane Benson as B, Aka Naviano as Julia Navarro, Joel D. Montgrand as Eddie Kevick, and Owen McDonald as Raymond Clark. I have not watched this series at all. And I decided that if I'm going to start, why not start at the most recent and make our way backwards, which is exactly what I intend to do after this season has wrapped up. Then I'll go back to season three, season two, and then the original. Yeah, why not? It's an anthology series. I was heavily intrigued when I saw the trailer for this. The one time I saw it and then it rather sold me on Jodie Foster and the addition of Callie Race because I've not seen a woman of color quite look like her on television before and that's enough to get me all the way in. I'm, I'm usually down with mysteries. I don't know why it's taken me so long to get to True Detective but here we are. Now that I've given credit where credit's due, let's get into this first episode, which is only entitled Part 1. It begins with a passage, which is rather apropos, for we do not know what beast the night dreams when its hours grow too long for even God to be awake. A quote by Hildred Castiana. I have not thought too heavily on that. Because ever since the exorcism of Emily Rose and they told me that the devil's hour is 3 a.m., I've had a complex. And it took me about a year of sleeping with the light on to get over that complex. So I don't want to delve any deeper into that context. Thank you much. December 17th at the Arctic Circle, the last day before the the last sunset or the last day of the last sunset a man is hiding in the the frozen abyss 
spotting a deer or a group of deer just as they didn't realize they're not going to be dinner for someone this this evening they decide to commit suicide by jumping off the mountain because they're like there's no fucking light and this is going to go on for how long yeah i'm good i'm good there's no hope for us we might as well go out <laughs> in style I did it my way. Inside the Arctic station that they said a dozen times, and I still, for some reason, cannot connect how it sounds versus how it's spelled. So eventually, I will catch on. But for right now, my brain is not sparking the correct electrical cues. To say it correctly. So we're just going to call it the Arctic Station. Uh, the men are enjoying their downtime until one man, Clark, begins to seizure before ominously, ominously stating she's awake. Then the lights go out. December 20th, which is a third day into the darkness. A delivery man comes to drop off goodies and other packages for the crew. And while at first he's annoyed no one answers him, he begins to become concerned. Upon dropping his keys, he finds a tongue. Oh, that's nasty. Oh, they're so nasty. No blood, just a tongue. That's more disturbing to me, and I think that was the point. Elsewhere, Trooper Evangeline shows up to a shift manager wanting to press charges against one of the women that work there because another co-worker was attacked by a man, her ex-boyfriend, who she left because he beat her. So then he showed up at her job to beat her and the manager for some reason is more concerned about the person on the ground than the person he smacked that's his actual employee and I think this scene was very effectual in highlighting the misogynistic atmosphere that we are we are uh, introduced to when it comes to Ennis her co-worker knocked the motherfucker out and was not at all uh, regretful of it with a metal bucket seeing as he showed up drunk and assaulted my friend. When he gets up and thinks to go after her again, Deputy Evangeline puts him back on the floor and asks if homegirl wants to press charges. I'm going to jail! I'm dead ass serious when I say this. If the law is not going to do their job... And that motherfucker roll up on me and he end up body do not at all expect me to regret my actions. <laughs> and that's exactly how she should have handled the situation because that's self-defense. Even if you, he didn't have a weapon, my life still felt threatened. 
as you point out, I am only 125 pounds and he is 250. All muscle coming after me. Yeah, my fucking life is threatened. If he decides he wants to choke me out, there's not much I could do for it other than with my physical strength, other than shooting him. So how about we not start the first action? We ain't got to worry about my actions. Liz gets to the science base. No vehicles missing. Absolutely annoyed at the continued playing of the same song in Ferris Bueller saying she hates the Beatles or just not a Beatles fan. I didn't even know the Beatles did that song. Pete updates her on what they know so far, which isn't much other than they are scientists from all over the world. They've contacted their families. They haven't been found. And the funding regarding the station is iffy at best. Not iffy, but unknown. I think they said an NGO pays for most of it. As she explores, she finds... We are all dead, written on the whiteboard, but everything else is left in place. Hank, which is her deputy, wants to hold off calling in rescue, but she is far more observant of the crime scene. Looks like one of the few that actually walked the whole crime scene, realizing that despite the abruptness of everything, as if they just went out for a walk, whatever happened, happened 48 hours ago. Uh, taking a pop shot at Hank for not being the most conscientious of dads to Pete, which is kind of awkward <laughs> when your superior is just cursing you out in front of your father who wants to be the superior of you or has been. Due to the marks left on the tongue and it being similar to another body found frozen some while back, Liz is able to decipher that it is a native woman's. It belongs to a native woman's. She gives Hank an order that he ignores, seeing as when it's transferred to his son, he immediately concurs. So you definitely heard me over there playing Candy Crush. Did they use to be an item? Is Pete her son? Why doth he feel the need to be petty were questions I had. And they did answer some of those later on. A woman guts a wolf listening to the radio. And this is Rose, we find out. When suddenly a man named Travis appears, precluded by some electrical disturbance. And she asks what he wants. Evangeline shows up in Liz's office concluding that the tongue she found relates to a case six years ago of an Inupiaq woman. I may have said that incorrectly. Liz wonders if she got her info from spirits. She's like, my spirit animal eats old white ladies like you for fucking breakfast, Danvers. There's definitely talk of and a feel of the supernatural involved and I think it can be both. Despite being kicked off the force, they aren't acrimonious towards each other. But when she brings up someone named Connolly, if he's treating her all right, she begins to shut down and evade something that Danvers does a lot when she does not want to open that particular door and discuss anything behind it. Evangeline is disappointed she won't even look at her 
files before leaving. She sends Ear Hustling Pete to get the cold case file on Ann Nasu Kotak and gets a phone call from a very upset mother about her daughter Leah who was recording a sex video with her girlfriend. Both are underage, so I can understand the mom being upset, but why are you screaming in my face? Because that's what we're not gonna do. We can discuss it like two adults, because yes, she may not have realized that she's opening herself up to some exploitation. But at the same time, your daughter also is involved in this and just because it seems like my daughter is a little older they both are minors so stop acting like my daughter for some reason because she is of a different skin tone she doesn't get the same consideration it reminds me of that joke that dave Chappelle, dave Chappelle told like how old is 15 because if it's if you're 15 and white, you're getting treated differently than if you're 15 and black or brown. Danvers admits to not caring about what she does in the car, but doesn't like when she has to deal with Karen in her face before a car cuts them off, causing an accident. Like all moms who get angry when something happens, our immediate concern is the welfare and assurance of our child. Is that fucking Stacy Chalmers again? Oh my god, bro. Oh, hell no, man. What the fuck, man? Get your ass on, boy. Get your goddamn This is not a town that doesn't know all of your business. She gets out the car saying she's sorry. Oh, Miss Danvers, how are you doing? Bitch, you just almost ran me off the road. Clearly, she's intoxicated. She says, my baby doesn't talk to me anymore or something to that effect. Uh, after she gets arrested, Leah feels the need when they're driving home to point out that her girlfriend is 16. <laughs> like <laughs> something dramatic didn't just happen. Like just to pick up on our previous conversation, I want to clarify she's not 15. Evangeline goes to see Ryan brother of the deceased Anne, who protested the mine seeing as shutting it down would be the loss of revenue for the town no tax no schools i got a kid i just listened to how mining can destroy an economy for future generations because that's what happened to nauru how they they were mining the topsoil knowing that it was going to destroy the environment but they were like oh no 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 we'll just kick it down the kick it down the the future and left left future generations worried about that we'll set up a contingency plan that contingency plan failed and now they're just fucking broke <laughs> living off of one strip of land by the ocean that's the only bit of hospitable environment left on the island Sidebar aside, it looks like Ryan was on the opposite side of his sister on this debate and they would get into fights about it. They barely spoke the year before she died due to hostility between them regarding her protests. He asks if she believes in God. She says, yes, she does. And we get a flashback to her last tour where she heard, listen, 
from a fellow soldier with their face blown half off. He remarks, it must be nice to know that we are not alone, but she confirms, oh no, we're alone, but so is God. So long, Mr. Long, I have nobody. She gets a call from Cooper. It happened again. The situation being her sister, Jules, who called into the police station in hysterics. She lives in a very boarded up apartment. Turns out their mother suffered from some type of mental affliction as well. And they both agree not to go to the hospital if things get worse. Stacy screaming from the holding cell. Oh, I think that I found myself an annoying bitch. Please shut the fuck up. Everyone's having to listen to this overly dramatic way in which she's choosing to <laughs> put together her sentences. He's like, like she's dying though? Hank tries to free her, but Danvers isn't having it. Pointing out, you can't do favors for those who occasionally blow you. My cock would fucking break you. Right in front of his son, Salad, once again, he claims to have a fiance from a catalog named Natasha, who's totally not held under some duress for a Russian pimp. The files she needs are at his place because there was a flood and he took them there, and we learn later on. He was the former chief and his blatant disregard is him feeling undermined having been replaced by a woman and takes out his childish behavior regarding that at every opportunity. So when he says soon, that may as well be never so Pete can make himself useful. Pete, we find out, has a son named Darwin with Kayla, who is drawing things inspired by grandma's stories about their culture, Darwin. Not a lot of kids are named Darwin, but I think I like it. While they're getting hot and heavy, she's like, I can't believe I fell for a white boy. He's trying to reach for his phone and she's trying to get even friskier. And when he continues to reach for his phone, she bites him on the neck. Crazy motherfucker named Joe. Yes, seriously, that wasn't a hickey. Looked like he almost took a chunk of skin out there. Danvers sends him on the errand he should have known all along he was going on. He's able to locate the appropriate file when he gets to his father's. And he's able to get it out of the house before dad catches wind. Or maybe he knew. He's got to know at this point, my son wants to make a good impression on the new chief and seems to find them as a better mentor than myself. You're gonna have to accept that. Oh, Woman River, also known as Rose, cause I didn't know her name at the time. So that's what I called her, Oh, Woman River. Sees Travis again when she's in her house and follows him with a flashlight. He's definitely not breathing. Only polar bears can walk around without pelts in these conditions. Also, another side note, watch a lot of the reindeer people and it's very fascinating. 
if you want to go on YouTube and learn about the reindeer herders, the Nanettes, I believe they're called, um, really, really different lifestyle. Back to the show, Pete takes the box over to, to Liz's and wonders how his life ended up ruled by women with no time to eat because even Leah's like, uh, did you take Darwin to see Santa Claus? Well, I ain't had no time. Well, you better. All right, all right. And who was found by Navarro, stabbed 32 times with an unidentified object is her albatross. And he knows that she lied about investigating the case way back then when she asked because she's very familiar with it. Anne was a midwife, an activist, a protester, the type of person many would want dead. I am woman, hear me roar in numbers too big to ignore. And I know too much to go back and pretend. The tongue being cut out was never revealed to the public. He thinks maybe the cases are connected despite Liz continuing to say, no, they are not. Pete wants more tea and not the kind in this cup. So he tries to blackmail her, which actually works because it's adorable. Navarro became obsessed with the case, being touchy about the, about women in general being harmed. She started pissing off the wrong people, got into fights with minors, then showed up at Katie mckittrich and she must be a big deal because his first reaction was fuck she went to her house demanded answers and was eventually kicked off the force something she says or attributes to her predecessor which is his father but a little later on it seems as if it was danvers who advised her to to move to trooper status Liz took over as chief from Hank. Danvers was about to look into it, but she knows no killer will ever be found because this town is too insulated to allow that to happen, saying that Ennis killed Anna. But because she looked into it and she came to that conclusion, she must have been stonewalled just as much as, as Evangeline was. Speaking of, she goes to meet with Kavik to what I can only describe as making that man your bitch. That was a surprisingly erotic scene there in Little Interlude. I have been told this actress is also a boxer. Being told by, yes, wikipedia.com. She's won quite a few titles and it would explain a lot about that body. What you doing out here with all this ass? Double cheeked up on a Thursday afternoon. Hella ass. The sun is still out. She uses his SpongeBob toothbrush and must head back out taking said toothbrush with her. I have never been a fan of automatic, automatic toothbrushes. I don't know why. I like the transition of the sound to the next scene. It seems Leah is not Liz's biological mom. She tries to talk to her about drunk driving and how that's a big deal since an incident, my guess, involving her dad. 
dying had something to do with the drunk driver but she shuts her down eventually closing the door literally to the conversation saying i'm gonna cook for christmas so you don't need to pretend to be my mom evangeline sees the guy who she arrested earlier threatening to enact revenge and more violence against the women so she pours alcohol in his tank you shouldn't have been talking shit she then calls a contact of Anne's to see if there's any connection to the research center and herself, but there is another electrical disturbance, interference, whatever you want to call it, before she hears she's awake. There's also a polar bear with their eyes shot out in the middle of the road. Danvers also hears the same thing when she's asleep in her bed before she gets up to look at the case. Loss is catching here, it would seem, as she has a deceased son named Holden. While reviewing the file, she realizes that one of the scientists, Clark, is wearing Anne's coat, or at least a similar enough one to investigate further and see if that is a possible connection. Old Woman River, AKA Rose's audience to some performative dance right in the middle of a winter wonderland before being pointed to something in the distance. Both Danvers and Evangeline are at the lab. I would be a little bit like, okay, I get you're a cop and a trooper, but <laughs> can you not just be walking around a crime scene? She does allow her to stay and explains that the pink jacket is something that could be connecting the cases. They don't find anything in Clark's possessions. He's the only one with a single bedroom. He's also the one that was having the seizure, right? Liz warns the case sunk her and she should be careful, but it turns out it was Liz who asked her to transfer to troopers and it had nothing to do with Anne. What do you mean by that? What, she turned you out or something? I don't... <laughs> I need to know more answers. She thinks she should let it go, but she's haunted by the image, the hate and disgust for the woman when she found her body, mayhap for all women who look like her, then the continued degradation, even in death, being kicked and forever shut up by having her tongue cut out or ripped out. She knows if the victim had been Caucasian, there would have been more attention, more of an outrage to the vile act. Liz is like, don't put that shit on me. I wasn't even here. Secondly, <laughs> this happened under your watch. And that's why Evangeline feels like she failed when she closed the didn't close the case, which is exactly why she can't let go. Danvers gets another call, this time from the helicopter searchers, because Rose has found something in the snow. Old Woman River. She says hi to, well, she says Missy. And she's like, uh, yeah, Travis told me. Travis is dead. I know. You ain't got to tell me. But he keeps showing up at my door. Wanting to have conversations. 
I said, fuck it. I'm lonely. The scientists are found frozen, looking terrified, buried in the snow. And that is how we end the episode. I'm all the way all in. I like the dynamics. I love the music. The cinematography looks beautiful. I like that this is done by a woman. I think that there are so many different artistic styles chosen when a woman is in charge of a project versus a male. I think there are a lot of interesting places they can go with this narrative. I mean, if you are following current events or, or history, our treatment of or the treatment of Native peoples and how the police treat their deaths, not only in just the movie Flowers of, of the Moon, I can't remember the whole title of it but it's something very real and a lot of heavily native populations and not only the u.s but particularly in canada where there's discrimination happening under the under the surface of it all and then you have this mining company that's also another political economical uh What's the other word? Environment change. So I, I do think there's a lot of relevant pointers in this series, but I hope they are naturally, because it's only the first episode, woven into the story and it doesn't become clunky or preachy because I think that it can speak for itself, just how it's set up. So right now, I, I think it's a really good mystery. And I'm really eager to get into what is going on. This episode gets a 9.3 out of 10. If you have thoughts, you want to send feedback, blackercouch at gmail.com. You can leave a comment below. My social media will be there as well. Like, share, subscribe, wherever podcasts can be found. Go down to the rating section, drop some stars, leave a review. My social media, like I stated, will be there as well. Until the next time, peace, hair grease, and black magic.